morning, everybody. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Isn't it awesome to be in the house of God on a Sunday morning, on an Easter Sunday morning where we celebrate our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Healer, and our Provider. If he wasn't, if he was still in the tomb, we would have no hope. If he was still in the grave, we'd have no redemption. If he was still in the grave, we wouldn't even be here this morning because there'd be no point to it. There would be no power in his name. There'd be no authority in his name. Satan wouldn't be scared of him, and you'd have no way out of your trials and your tribulations. But he's not in the grave. He's not buried, but he's alive, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's Jesus Christ. And I thank him for all that he's done, for all that he's done for me and all that he's going to do. I thank God. Amen. Turn me around, place my 
gives way to him who is our peace. His final breath upon the cross is now alive in me. The fear that held us now gives way to him who is our Rock the 
Praise the Lord. I say praise the Lord. Jesus is alive. It's what Resurrection Day is all about. Our Lord is alive. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you that we're able to rejoice in it and celebrate the truth of the resurrection. And God, I thank you for each and every one that's here today and those that are watching by way of the internet, Lord God. I pray that you would speak to them, Holy Ghost, in a way that only you can do as we celebrate this day with the truth that Christ is alive. And we will celebrate with those in just a few moments, Lord, who will be celebrating and declaring that truth in water baptism. And so we thank you for it. What a glorious and beautiful day you've given us. And we just rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. We're going to change things up a little bit this morning. Our worship team's going to be coming back in just a, a little while. And uh, I know a lot of times we have a good bit of worship at the music and worship at the beginning. But we're going to change it up a little bit in that we have a a number of people who are going to be water baptized and so i've asked the worship team to come and come back and lead us in worship during that time it's going to be a celebration time okay and so we welcome you i am bob zanini i'm the senior pastor here at life church and we as a pastoral team and members we just welcome you and we just thank you for coming and, and uh, we're going to get right into the message of the word this morning because this is what it's all about. I mean, if there was any day for someone who knows Jesus to celebrate, it would be today. I remember as a kid that this day was all about coloring eggs and, and chocolate bunnies and all that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you what. 51 years ago, Jesus changed my life. He became real, and we celebrate the reality of that truth. And I, I want to give to you a message this morning that, that I, I simply have titled The Easter Effect. It's not, this actually came from an article that I captured several years ago uh, uh, off, the, off the Wall Street Journal, if you can believe that. It was, it was written by a guy there talking about the impact of Easter and things. But that, that, that title just stood out to me, and just a few weeks ago, it, it hit me hard, and so I've been sitting there talk, thinking about this, and so I want to get right into this because it ties in with what we're about to celebrate in this water baptism this morning. So look at your neighbor and say, Happy Resurrection Day. Oh, no, come on now. Say it like you mean it. <laughs> there you go. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. He is risen. The Easter effect. In the year 312, just before the victory uh, of uh, a Milvaean Bridge, uh, Constantine, in that victory, would become the Roman Empire. Uh, emperor of the Roman Empire. But right before that battle, religious tradition tells us 
that he had a heavenly vision or a dream in which he saw all these symbols that were Christian symbols. Now, before that time, there were laws enacted that said anyone involved in Christianity, that participated in Christianity, who even spoke about Christianity, they could be put to death, they could be jailed, they could lose their property, all of these things. But he had this heavenly vision or dream of all these Christian symbols. And within a year's time, we are told that he, he removed the sanctions of public declaration towards Christianity. In fact, he declared Christianity to be the official religion of the Roman Empire. Now, that's what we are told by religious tradition. I don't know how much of that is true per se, but I do know this, that Constantine was, a, was an emperor. That means he was a politician. And I think that he overlooked the landscape of what was taking place in the Roman Empire at that time. For, forgive me for being a little bit of a cynic when it comes to a politician, okay? But here's what, here's what was true. He decided to join the winning side. And what do I mean by that? The historical facts show that upwards to one half of the people within the Roman Empire had turned to Christianity. And he saw the numbers were, were going off the scale. And, and, and all he could see was that there was coming a point when all the people were going to become Christians. So why not throw in his lot on the winning side? And so he declared that Christianity would be the official religion of the empire. Now, we know there were some negative things to that because that just simply meant you could come in. You didn't have to profess that you believed in Christ or anything like that, but that's what he did. But you have to ask yourself, how in two and a half centuries from the time that Christ died and was resurrected and the church was founded on the day of Pentecost, how in two and a half centuries of time did half of the then known world become Christian. How? I mean, what caused a ragtag band of, of nobodies on the edge of the Middle East to become such a dominant force in a couple hundred years? How could this happen? I mean, the iron fist of Rome was, was, was crucifying. They were, they were, they were tying Christians to stakes and lighting them on fire. They were throwing them to the lions, and yet Christianity was exploding in growth. How could this be? Well, theologians, those are people who take the simple truths of the gospel and try and make them difficult. My, my, my definition, okay? Because they'll say, the theologians say... And in other words, this is too far above your heads. And so they're, they're taking the simple truth of the gospel and let's make it hard and difficult. And, and I, I, you, have to, you have to understand, I'm saying that a little bit tongue in cheek. But they, they would have us believe that it was the theological arguments of the people that won people to faith. Now, it's true, the Bible says all through the book of Acts that Paul, the Apostle Paul, after his conversion to Christ, one of the, the first thing he would do in every town he would go to, the Bible says he would go to the synagogue and reason with the Jews. He would go in there and argue the case for Christ. 
But he didn't stay there because he would come out of there, usually thrown out of there, a lot of times cast out of the city, and one time even taken out of the city and stoned and left for dead, but God raised him up. But he would oftentimes leave the synagogue after reasoning with those leaders, and those who were hungry, he would meet with them at a house meeting for a period of time until a church was established, and then he'd move on down the road, and he would go and reason with them. So I'm not against argument, and I'm not against being able to defend my faith. But I can tell you that it was not just one man or just a handful of people that caused the spread of Christianity across the continent of the earth. It was the nobodies, if I can put it that way. It was the people who did not, were not skilled in the religious arguments and skilled in knowing all of the scriptures and all of those things. There was something about them, and it is what we term the Easter effect because it was something that absolutely, positively made people adamant and stand their ground, and it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because see, Christianity is nothing without the resurrection of Christ. It is the cornerstone of our faith. It is the very essence of who we are, what we believe, and why we, we, we profess to believe in Jesus Christ. And it was their encounter with him, that encounter with the resurrected Christ. We just sang it a second ago. This resurrected Christ is living now in me. He's alive. I said, he's alive, he's alive. So much of the church is, is, is not living with that truth and that understanding. And I pray in the next few minutes, I can convey that to you. Listen to me. This time last year, this building was empty. And was, there was just a handful of people here and it's preaching to that camera. But we're here today and why are we here? Not because there's a government edict that requires that we come or some religious leader who's taking numbers and names if you don't show up. We're here today because the Holy Spirit has borne witness in so many of our lives of the very truth that Christ has risen from the dead. These people, these, these early believers, they, they went from knowing him as an itinerant Jewish rabbi, a teacher of the day, to, and to begin to tell of their eyewitness accounts of the agonizing and shameful death of his, uh, on a Roman cross outside of the city of Jerusalem. Those are documented facts. Those are documented facts. Dr. N.T. Wright, a noted biblical scholar, he makes clear, he says the first generation of believers, the followers of Christ, those first people who believe, they answered the question, the question. I remember our English teacher says, when it's, it's like the question, the, not the question, the question. So whichever is right, I don't know. But there was one question that they had to be able to answer. Imagine if you had a test in school and you only had one answer, question you had to answer. How many of you think you would know the answer? How many of you would learn the answer to the question? 
Well, he said, he said this about those first century believers. He said they answered the question of why. Why were they followers of Jesus Christ? And he said that they gave a straightforward answer because Jesus was raised from the dead. Just this morning, I was, as I was getting ready for church, I had my Bible playing and, and I was listening to John and then into the book of Acts. And over and over and over again, it mentions this Christ that you killed, God has raised. He, over and over and again, they were testifying of the fact that he was raised from the dead. Now, when Jesus was alive, many of the things that he taught, the people said were difficult things to accept. They said they were hard teachings. And we would say in our vernacular today, they said, that's tough to swallow. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's a hard, that's hard, okay? But 2,000 years later, guess what? This same truth that Christ has raised from the dead is the most difficult teaching for most people to believe in. In fact, surveys show today that most people today don't even believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They, they believe he was a good person, that he, he lived a good life, but they believe that he sinned just like you and I. There was nothing unique or special about they, they, they But when you come to the resurrection, most people will say, that one I can't get past. That one's too hard to swallow. I just can't go there. So nothing really has changed in 2,000 years, but the message is still true that Jesus Christ is alive. And these eyewitnesses gave their accounts of the resurrection day and what immediately followed afterwards. And that's the part in the last couple of weeks that has really caught my attention. Because I think sometimes we read the Bible with rose-colored glasses, you know, that, that we see things the way we've been told them. But I love it when the Holy Spirit just kind of removes the the tinting from the glasses and just goes, read it for what it says. Because one of the things that I found that was interesting is, look, if you're gonna try and tell a story and you only want people to believe the best parts, you leave out the worst parts. In other words, you leave out those things that could be taken negatively. Things that might be too hard to swallow. Let's make it real easy for people to understand. But what's written in the Gospels is not only how they responded, but how in those days following the resurrection of Jesus Christ, those first Christians, and when I say first Christians, I'm talking about his inner circle, Peter, James, John, going down the list. They, those, even those guys, they, they were puzzled, they were skeptical, they, they were fearful, they, and, and they didn't hide that. I, I just went quickly through the scriptures real quick, and I'm going to put them up here. We're going to go through them first. Firstly, is Mary Magdalene and the other women who came to the tomb after the Sabbath. They came with anointing oil. Remember, Jesus was taken off the cross very quickly, and he was put in the tomb, wrapped and put in the tomb, but they had a, they had a way of wrapping and anointing oils and all that, but they, could, they didn't have time for that because the Passover was about to strike. So they wrapped him up quickly, put him in. A stone had been rolled and, and sealed by the Roman guards, and, 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 and they were standing there, but Mary and some other 
lover of what other women came to the tomb. And they're, they're, they're thinking, how are we going to roll the stone away? How are we going to get past the guards? How are we going to be able to do this? But they brought the anointing oils and spices to, to, to anoint his dead body. But when they came to the tomb, they found that the tomb was already empty. My friends, the tomb, the rock was not rolled away so Jesus could get out. The rock was rolled away so that they could get in and see he was gone. Jesus will roll away the rocks. He'll roll away the stones of your heart. He'll roll away the stones of unbelief. If you'll let him, if you'll allow the Holy Spirit to do that, and you'll be able to peer inside. And when it says that when they walked, when they looked in, there was a young man sitting there. We, we find in another gospel, it was an angel of the Lord. And it said, this Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, has risen. He is not here. But they had no idea what that was all about. And the verse, and the verse tells us, it says, trembling and bewildered, the women fled out of the tomb and, and fled the tomb. How many of you think you'd, you'd run too? Come on, you know, they didn't, they didn't go, hallelujah, ha, you know. I mean, the hallelujah chorus didn't go off when they saw it. They trembled and shook, and they ran from the tomb, and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And I, I, I can imagine that even if they had tried to say something, they would... Come on now. Take the, take the blinders off and read it for what it says. And then we read about there were two disciples who were walking on the road to Emmaus and from Emmaus to, and, and from Jerusalem. And that afternoon, they, they meet up with this person and, and they begin walking together and they ask him, what are you talking about? And they said, what do you mean, what are we talking about? The same thing that everybody's been talking about for three days. And they began to tell him about this, this, this rabbi, this teacher that they had been following. And then he was crucified in, in a gruesome manner on a cross. And they're telling him all these things. And they, the Bible says they didn't even recognize Jesus. And then this man who had joined them in this walk, he begins to break down the scriptures and he begins to reveal to them how the, the scriptures tell the Messiah must come and he must suffer and he must die and all of these things and then rise again. And the Bible says they still didn't understand. All day, all, all afternoon, they're walking with him and he's explaining the scriptures and they still don't understand. That's why I'm telling you, the reasoning part goes right out the window. He's reasoned with them. Jesus has reasoned with them and they don't understand until the time comes when they, they take a break and the Bible says they break bread. He breaks bread and he blesses it. And look what the scripture says. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. My mind, trying to comprehend that. All this time, they don't even know who he is. He breaks bread, and they look at each other and go, deja vu? We've been down this road before. 
And suddenly their eyes are open. They recognized him. And before they can even respond, it says he disappears from the room. How many of you think they just went, hallelujah? No, they probably looked at each other like, uh, uh, and one of them said, uh, we got to go tell somebody. And they were out of there. I mean, they were out of there. How do, how do I know that? Because that's what the scripture tells us. It says, and they quickly made their way back to tell the other disciples, the other followers of Jesus. And look at this, when they get back, they find out according to Luke 24 and 34 that as they come in to tell what has happened, they shut, the people shut them down and say, be quiet. Listen, Peter has seen the Lord. And they're like, have you ever had news you wanted to tell and somebody just popped your balloon before you ever got to tell it? And Peter has seen the Lord. And they were like, we wanted to tell you that. No, I believe they just went, oh, yes. In other words, it was, it was, I imagine running all the way back to thinking, nobody's going to believe this. Nobody's going to believe this. And they walk in and the others are saying, Peter has seen the Lord. And so the Bible says, once, once that word has gotten out, he goes, well, let us confirm that truth. And it says, as they're explaining to the men that are in the room there that what happened, how they've been walking on the path, this stranger comes up and they tell him the whole story. And, you know, the whole nine yards, they go through all that, all the thing. All of a sudden, the Bible says that Jesus appears to the disciples in the room. And it says this, that Jesus himself stood among them and they were startled and frightened, supposed that they'd seen a ghost. This is the apostles, the guys that had lived with him for three plus years. They should have recognized him, but he just appears in the room. I mean, you got these guys, he just disappeared out of our sight. He just disappeared out of our sight. Now he just appears, right? He just now appears. And all of a sudden it says, and they, they were frightened because they thought they had seen a ghost. This is the spiritual inside group. They'd seen a ghost. What you can read all the different post resurrection events. And here's what I'll tell you. Here's the thing that and that is that those who should have known him the most, didn't recognize him at first. Yeah, in fact, there's one right there put on the screen. Peter, 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 the rock, upon which I will build my church. He gets up one morning after Jesus has appeared, after these things have been said, and he says, I don't know what to do. I think I'll just go fishing. And some of the other disciples go, We'll go with you. And they go fishing. Read the story. They're out fishing. And as they're fishing, there's a man on the shore who calls to them and says, have you caught anything? And, and um, he, well, let me just put it on the screen and let me show you. 
says, when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was him. And they asked him, have you caught anything? And they said, no, we hadn't caught anything. And if you know anything about Israel and the fishing, they always did their fishing at night because they never caught any fish during the daytime. Jesus tells them, cast your net over the side. And one gospel account tells us that all of a sudden their nets were filled and there was 153 fish. There's nothing mystical about the number 153, so quit trying to figure that out. It just says there's 153 fish. I, in other words, there's a whole bunch of fish, okay? And, 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 and John, in John's gospel, he says, it's the Lord. And Peter suddenly realizes it's the Lord on the shore, and he's naked. And so he grabs his, his clothes and wraps them up, and he jumps in the water, and he's swimming the shore. It's the Lord, it's the Lord. And I love it. The other, it says, and the others followed, but they came in the boat dragging the net. In other words, just in case it ain't him, we ain't losing this catch. I mean, really? And when they get to the shore, he's cooking fish. He's got some bread, fish and chips. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, my first thought would be, where'd you get the fish? We're just bringing them to shore now, but he's already got fish. He ain't got no net. He ain't got nothing. How's he doing this? And what I'm trying to tell you is that the, these, these first-time believers, they were skeptical about, about the things of Christ, about the resurrection of Christ. And, and, and I just want to tell you, you know, I've, I've seen people in my lifetime who are slow to commit their lives to Christ. And I've seen friends and family members and spouses get all upset because they won't commit to Christ. They won't surrender their life to Christ. And I'm saying, give them time. Because you know what I've learned? That those who jump in quick, jump out just as fast. But those who think it over and mull it over, now there's, there's a time to stop mulling and there's a time to know. Okay, you follow what I'm saying? But I found that those who think about it and when they become convinced, they're in. I mean, they're in 120%. They're in. They're, they're all in. And what's amazing to me is that the Bible says that even after all these post-resurrection events, there were still some that doubted. I think of Thomas. Jesus showed up with the group, and Thomas was missing, and they all tell him, he was here. We saw him. He spoke to us. And he says, I won't believe unless I, he shows up and I can put my finger in his hand and my hand in his side. And then a week goes by. A week, the Bible says. Can I tell you the longest week? A week goes by and there's the other guys who are convinced that he's alive. And Thomas is going, I ain't believing until I see and put my finger in his hand and my hand in his side. And I, but I think all week long, Thomas was mulling that over. He's alive. He's alive. They said he's alive. She said he's alive. They said, they said this, 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 this. And all of a sudden, a week later, they're gathered together, and Thomas is there. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, and he turns to Thomas and says, take your finger and put it in my hand. Take your hand, stick it in my side. And what does Jesus say? And, and Thomas goes, Lord, I believe. And Jesus said, blessed are you who believe, but blessed are those who have not seen and will believe. We're in that last group, folks. We have not seen him. We did not physically see him, but we have 
believe and the promise is coming and it's coming soon my friend excuse me if I get a little worked up about it but it's coming soon and when the Bible says when we shall see him we shall know him how do we know him? Because we've already believed. We already know in whom we have believed. And we're just going to see him. And that's just kind of like putting the seal on it. That's like the last thing right there. It doesn't, it doesn't undo anything. It doesn't make my belief any greater. It just proves that what I have believed, I have stood firm on. And he is coming back. And he's going to take me to be with him. Those who believe, he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. It's amazing. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat it. It flat tells out that there were those in their group that were skeptical. And here's two things I want to tell you real quick. And that is that the early Christians were confident enough about what they called the resurrection that they were prepared to say something like this in conversation. I'm getting ready to tell you something. It's going to seem impossible, but I'm telling you it happened. See, we think we got to have proof. I had a guy one time on the street, I was witnessing somebody in Montgomery, Alabama. He said, I won't believe in God until he comes down here in the flesh. And I said, he's already come in the flesh. His name is Jesus Christ, and he's not coming back to prove himself to you again. And if you go through life and reject him, you'll be spending eternity in hell. But before you go, you'll see him. He just looked at me and went, uh. The early Christians, though skeptical, though they didn't understand everything, they, they believed enough that they were willing to witness to others that he, was come, that he had been raised from the dead. And the second thing that I want to point out is it took time for them, those first Christians, to figure out what the events of the resurrection means. And what I, let me show you real quick what I'm talking about. It took them a while to figure it out. But once they did, the Easter effect impacted them in this way. The way they thought about time and history changed from the moment they recognized the resurrection of Jesus Christ. During Jesus' public ministry, many of his followers shared in, in the idea that he was, going, he was the Messiah. And they had this Jewish messianic idea. And, and uh, hey, Nick, do me a favor and flip the switches to cool on there. They were turned off earlier. And, um, but... Uh, they believed that a Jewish Messiah was coming and that Jewish Messiah was going to come and deliver them from the tyranny of Rome and all of these things. This is what they had believed. This is what they had been taught. But the early Christians came to understand that this cataclysmic world um, redeeming act that God was supposed to do that was promised by the prophets of old had taken place with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me explain what I'm saying. In other words, they were looking for God's kingdom to come and for Israel to be delivered and lifted up in the sight and that the scripture that says, and all nations shall come to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. They were expecting that to happen when the Messiah came. 
But those early believers, you know what they believed? You know what they found out? Was that God's kingdom had already come with the coming of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do when he went into the town? He said, I declare unto you the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He didn't say it's coming down the road. He said, it's here. I'm here, and I represent the kingdom of God. And they rejected him for that. But here's, here's the thing. Those early believers, they understood this, this messianic idea had changed and that something earth-shaking had changed, and it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you how it changed. It changed them first in their thinking because they became people who knew how history was going to end. It was no longer a mystery, but they understood the truth of who Christ was, that he came to suffer and to die and has been raised from the dead, that he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And when the Father declares it, he's coming back. And when he comes back, the Bible says, everything is going to change. He will become the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He will establish his government. And because they understood the way that history was going to work its way out, their lives were changed. How? They lived differently. The writer of First John tells us, he says, he that has this hope in him purifies himself. He that knows that he's coming again lives in such a way that he's coming back again. That's what he's talking about. And the Easter effect drove them to a new standard of equality, which I'm going to explain in a minute. But here's the one thing, summarize this first point, is that they now knew that death did not have the final word on the human story. Can you imagine thinking that the grave was the end of it all? And then suddenly through the resurrection of Christ and through his teaching to realize that the grave wasn't the end, that the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If anything, death is a gateway into the very presence of a holy and loving God. The second one thing is that the way they thought about the resurrection changed. These followers of Jesus Christ, the Jews that followed him, the Jews that followed him, you had Pharisees, you had Sadducees, you had the scribes, you had the political leaders, all of these folks. But there were two religious groups, two different camps, and one was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, and the main difference between those two religious groups is that the Pharisees believed in a resurrection after death. They taught that. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. If go back and read it in the book of Acts, and most of the time that people that gave the Christians the hardest were the Sadducees. And the reason was because those early Christians were teaching that Christ was raised from the dead. And the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection after death. And if you're confused about how to tell a Pharisee from a Sadducee, the the Pharisees believe in a resurrection and the Sadducees don't believe in a re resurrection and that's why they're sad, you see. Most of you will walk out of here and not remember anything else. That's all right. 
But the first resurrection, that resurrection of Christ taught those first Christians who were pious Jews. They were Jews. They were religious Jews. That this resurrection was not a resuscitation of a corpse, or, nor did it involve the, the, uh, the recomposition of a dead body that had deteriorated. The tomb was empty. The risen Lord had appeared to the disciples, but he had appeared in a transformed body. This was not just a raise from the dead like Lazarus kind of thing, because Lazarus died again. Jesus raised several people from the dead during his ministry, but it was not in a transformed body. How do we know the difference? Because Jesus appeared and then disappeared. He didn't go through walls. He just, now you see him, now you don't. I mean, his transformed body. You could touch him. He had flesh. The difference is you and I are made of flesh and blood. Jesus in a transformed body was flesh and bone. And that's what the scripture tells us. That's why he could turn to Thomas and say, put your finger in my hand. He could touch him. He could actually do it. He was flesh and bone, but it was a glorified body. It was a transformed body. And this experience brought a whole new meaning to Jesus' teaching when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in a few minutes, we're getting ready to celebrate water baptism with those who are coming. And it is a declaration. It is a, on their part uh, that they're declaring the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans chapter 6. He says this. He says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall be certainly united with him in a resurrection like his. This Easter effect is established that the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is signified by this tank of water right here. Going under is like being laid in the tomb and dying to themselves, but coming up out of the water. One, one of the young people asked me, he says, you are going to pull me back up, right? I said, yeah, I'm going to pull you back up. He said, you know, leave me, leave me down there till I bubble, huh? I said, no, just go on down. I'll pull you right back up. But you know what? Going down represents death. We're united with Christ in his death in the tomb. When he went into the tomb, he died. He carried our sin. When I go under the water, I'm right. I, my sins are dead. They no longer have authority over me. And when I come out of the water, I'm free. I'm resurrected unto new life. That's what it's all about. It is a proclamation of what we believe. I've had people say, well, why do I need to be water baptized? First of all, Jesus said, be water baptized. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when the people were cut to the heart, they said, what do we do? He said, repent and be baptized in Jesus' name. It's a public declaration. And not only that, it is that it reminds us that not only is the resurrection of Jesus true, but that my, in my new life, my responsibility and my purpose is to tell people he is alive. See, it, people who understand this, they realize the Easter effect is not unlike the caterpillar that 
goes into a cocoon, but when it emerges, it comes out as a new creature. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is to those who embrace it, a new life. It says, we are dead unto our old ways. We have been raised into newness of life. Which brings me to the third reason for the Easter effect, and that is that the resurrection of Jesus would revolutionize the, the worldview, their worldview. What do I mean by that? What happened to Jesus was not just about him. It was also about them. Romans 8 and verse 11 says this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, their worldview changed because he real, they realized that his destiny now became their destiny. He said if God raised them for him from the dead, then that same God and that same spirit who dwells in you will raise you from the dead. So, so, so much so that not only could they face opposition and face scorn and even death with confidence, they could, they could offer others the, this truth that Christ is alive, and if you believe in him, he'll give you a new life. Can you, I, I pictured in my mind those individuals in prison in the Roman Colosseum filled, it would be what we would consider like the Superdome of Rome, and they were filled for the games, except it wasn't a football game or a soccer game or a baseball game. But Christians who have been in prison were about to be torn apart by lions. They were about to be tied to stakes, poured wax on them and lit like human candles while the people cheered. And I thought about that. And still, they had the courage to walk and tell everybody along the way, can I tell you one last time about my Jesus? Can I tell you before they take my life away from me? Can I tell you about my Jesus? Why you need Jesus? They were so convinced they could stare death in the face I mentioned earlier that the Easter effect brought a whole new standard of, of uh, equality into the world. Now listen, I'm not, I'm, the Christian mission is inconceivable without the story of the resurrection. It's why you cannot tell the story of God's grace without telling the story of the penalty of law. It was because of the penalty of the law that Christ became flesh and dwelt among us and had to die on the cross. The law has not been done away with. The standard of holiness has not been done away with. He's still a holy God. But God in his infinite mercy and love loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son and he went to the cross and he died a horrendous death 
a death of shame and mockery, and he never once let it go off his tongue. The Bible says with one word, he could have called 10 legions of angels to deliver him. It wasn't the nails that kept him there, it was his love, and he died on the cross, but God raised him from the dead. He is alive. The panel, our mission is to tell the world the good news, and the good news is that you don't have to die in your sins. You don't have to go to hell and spend an eternity in a lake of fire. God sent his son who loves us so much that he died in your place, and God raised him from the dead, and the tomb is empty, and he's not just a religious figure. He is real. He is alive and he's alive. he can be alive in you. That's what Easter's all about. It's what it's all about. But how did it change the equality? Because up until the time, even after the resurrection, the early days of the church, that those disciples of Jesus believed that this was only the promise for the Jews. But they learned because that God loved the whole world. And the Bible says they found out that, that Jesus now extended that same offer to those who are non-Jews. The promise sealed by death and resurrection was now open to all. The resurrection of Jesus Christ should cause us to see beyond the four corners of our lives. It should cause us to see our neighbors our coworkers, our family, our friends, and even strangers that we do not know as the reason to why we're here. See, too much of the church has hid itself behind the four walls. We've hid ourselves. I was so thrilled yesterday. We had two groups of people from this church out there doing outreach, telling the gospel message. We had a group of young people down in Thibodeau, Louisiana, and they were ministering to groups of kids and adults, and you know what they said? They told them, they said, we're so thrilled you came because every year our Easter extravaganza has only been fun and games. They said for the first time, they, the people who came heard the gospel message. My friends, you can put on, you can drop 50,000 colored eggs from a helicopter. You can fill them all with $100 bills and it won't change anybody's life if they don't hear the good news that Jesus died, was buried, and he's alive today. I'm just telling you how thrilled I was. And then we had another group who's been studying about evangelism but look, I told Pastor Elliot, get them out on the streets. Get them out there. And so yesterday, a group showed up. They prayed, and they went out, 
and they walked through the streets carrying the cross and testimonies this morning already people came up. Pastor, I got to tell you about this person I was able to lead to Christ yesterday. I got to tell you about this person I led to Christ. Oh, and so-and-so led two people to Christ and this one led a bunch of kids to Christ. You know how that thrills my heart? Because see, Easter's not about frilly baskets with pretty colored bows and little Easter bunnies. That is not Easter. The Easter effect is the resurrection of Christ and he's alive today and he can change. I said he can change your life if you let him. He'll break the chains of bondage off of those who are bound. He, he lives today to heal the brokenhearted. He lives today to restore that which is lost. He lives today to renew that which is broken. And he lives today that we might understand and comprehend when Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and life more abundantly. That is what the Easter effect is about. The fourth thing is it impacted their worship. How could Easter, how could the resurrection impact their worship? They were Jews. The early believers were pious Jews, religious Jews. They followed the law. The Sabbath was, is, was ingrained in them because the last day of the week, Saturday, was the Sabbath. And yet as soon as the church was born, it says they began to meet on the Lord's day. And the Lord's day was Sunday. It was after the Sabbath. It was Sunday. And I mean, it revolutionized their thinking. Do you have to understand for Jews who for thousands of years had followed the law that the holy day of the week was Saturday, the Sabbath day, all of a sudden to begin missing Sabbath and, and worshiping together in houses and homes on Sunday, something radical had to happen in their lives. In fact, many theologians, the smart guys, remember, they're convinced, they're convinced that this, this, if anything, proves the extraordinary events that took place through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, let me close with this, and then we're going to baptize people, and the worship team's going to get ready to come. There is no explaining the conviction of those first Christians that Jesus of Nazareth was raised bodily to life three days after his execution. There is no real way to explain that except through what the scripture says and through the eyewitness testimonies. But I have learned in my life that I could tell people and I'll tell people stories and I'll say, I saw this, I was there. I said this, I was there. And I can tell people things that sound so outrageous, people look at me and go, I don't believe it. But you know what I've learned? It doesn't change that fact. It happened. I could tell you about the Grand Canyon and you could say, I don't believe it. Doesn't change the fact. You can tell me I have a pain in my left foot. I said, well, I can't see it. Doesn't change the fact if you have a pain in your left foot. He said, but I'm telling you, it hurts. Whether you could see it or not, it hurts. What I'm trying to say is this. The cornerstone of our faith is founded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ.
that after three days be raised from the dead. Otherwise, Jesus was a liar. Because Jesus, with his own words, said, like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, so too must the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth. In other words, he had to go on there for three days, and then he was raised again. But probably the most profound effect, and I, 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 I say this, is because the joy of the people in that day, the joy that they had. And if I was to look around the modern day church today, the thing that's missing is genuine joy. I, I, I listened the other day to a couple people just for a few minutes online and, and they all started off and they said, Easter is the resurrection brings happiness to our lives. Can I tell you something? There is sorrow on this day all over the world. Easter's not about happiness. God never promised happiness because happiness is based upon happenstance. It's based upon circumstance. But I can have joy in the midst of tribulation. I can have joy in the midst of trials. I can have joy while I'm being burned at the stake. I can have joy when I'm being scorned for my faith. I can have joy when I'm being punished and let go on my job because I will not renounce my faith in Christ. I can have joy and those early Christians, they were so convinced of the resurrection of Christ that they had joy and joy so much that it was incomprehensible to their minds that they would be silent about it. <laughs> they were like, I gotta tell somebody. I mean, I gotta tell somebody what God has done for me. I think about that old song, that old chorus. You know, when I think of his goodness and what he's done for me, when I think of his goodness and how he set me free, I'm gonna shout, I'm gonna clap, I'm gonna jump, I'm gonna dance, I'm gonna tell somebody. Amen. Now, some of you are sitting there going, I have never been, seen a preacher get so animated about something. Well, if I can't get animated about the fact that he is alive today and that he changed my life, he delivered me from the things that were bringing me down, he, things that were out to destroy my life. And for 51 years, he has been faithful. He's never left my side. Even when I have been unfaithful, he has been there. He's always loved me. He's always called me son. And I don't have to prove anything to him. He accepts me as I am, but I can tell you this, he didn't leave me like I was. He's changing me from glory to glory. He's changing us. And if you come to Christ, he's not going to leave you the way you are. Believe me, he loves you the way you are, but he's getting ready to make some changes. And you know what he's bringing? He's bringing resurrection life. I said he's bringing resurrection life. Those first Christians, they realized that they had been eyewitnesses to something that had erased the fear of death in their lives. 
that they could smile and laugh in its face. And if there was anything that Christians need today in 2021 is the joy of the Holy Ghost. I mean the joy of the Holy Ghost. I'll be honest and tell you, I've been stressed out the last two days. And where's Brother Tiger at? There he is right there. Yesterday afternoon, they had come in here getting ready to go out on the street. He walks up to me and he says, Pastor, he said, are you okay? And I said, I said, I've really been stressed out about a number of things the last 30 something hours. And this was his words to me, bro. I started calling you and tell you, thank you. He said, well, you're wearing it really good. I said, what you mean? He said, I can see it on your face. And I just kind of walked out of here. And I said, you know what, Lord? I was wrong. I said, because I don't need to be stressed out. You're in control. I ain't got to worry about if this works out or that don't work or this happens or that won't happen or, you know, people texting me, calling me, issues in their family, issues on their job, issues with this. Can I tell you, after a while, it starts piling on. You know, when I was a kid, we used to call it dog piling. <laughs> Somebody be on the ground and everybody else would pile on top, you know, and and uh, I had a friend in high school, he always carried, in football, he always carried like a 10-penny nail behind his hip pad. And when he would make a, a tackle like on top of everybody, he'd pull that nail out and stick somebody below him. And that's the way I had felt for the last 30-something hours before yesterday afternoon. And I went home, hung my head down in shame, started to call you, brother, and tell you, but I didn't want to upset you if you all were out witnessing and stuff. But I thank you for that. I realized I didn't have anything to hang my head about. Holy Ghost said, how about some real joy? How some real joy? And so about that time, I got a text from somebody. said, Pastor, I just want to let you know I've been praying for you this afternoon. Holy Ghost, you're so good. And all of a sudden, I started seeing videos and pictures being posted from the kids in Thibodeau, the youth, the youth down there in Thibodeau ministering to hundreds and hundreds of people and our group walking through Ildecon and witnessing and praying with people. And I said, God, I have so much to be thankful for, so much to be joyful about. And the rest of the day, man, I'm telling you, those shackles blew off of me. And I have been sing, singing, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. He's, I'm telling you, all the old songs started coming back. I mean, some of the old hymns started coming back. Uh, from the grave he arose. <laughs> and a mighty triumph over his foes. I said, he's alive. You know, he's alive. Oh, last night I was dealing with other stuff. And I was thinking, he's alive he's alive he's alive he's alive and I'm done he's alive I said he's alive so I have to ask you was the joy of those early Christians a delusion or was it real and I have the scripture Acts 4 33 and it says this and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Everywhere they went, they gave the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus. This is the purpose of every Christian, to tell every person that Jesus is alive. And I'll leave you with this thought as the worship team begins to play, and we're getting ready to pray and begin to baptize people. 
The resurrection message changed the early world. The early, those first century believers, the second century believers. And that message will still continue to change people's lives. But then I thought about this. I put it if, a big if. It'll change people's lives if those that profess the Easter effect, the resurrection, if those people, the resurrection actually believe it, then it will change people's lives. I wonder if I can get a witness right now. How many in here would say, Pastor, I can testify to the Easter effect upon my life. Raise your hands. I'm, you can put your hands down. Ask everyone to bow your heads for just a moment. I'm not gonna sit here and talk about the resurrection of Christ and, and how he died on the cross to pay for your price, for the price for your sins and not allow you to come to know him on this day. I don't know everybody in here, but if you're here and you would say, Pastor Bob, would you pray with me this morning? I wanna surrender my life to Christ. I want that joy. I want that assurance. I wanna know that I know that I know that Jesus is alive in me. Would you pray for me this morning? I'm ready to give my life to Christ. Would you raise your hands? Anyone at all, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you, thank you, thank you. For the kingdom and for his glory. Thank you, Jesus. Pastor Elliot, we just had seven people raise their hand. Would you come and lead them in the sinner's prayer? Because I'm going to go get ready. Can I see those who raise their hands? I want to look at you in your eyes. Can you raise your hand again? Come on, all across this room, I had my head down, my eyes were closed. If you lifted, lifted high, let me see you. I praise God for each and every one of you. You know, the story of the gospel is that we were depraved without Christ, but there is a Savior, and He came to reconcile us to God. And so, this is what I want you to do as you're just. Uh, sitting in your seat, I, I want you just to begin to confess your sins to the Lord. You know, so many times I think that churches rush through this and it can be an emotional decision, but what you need to understand this morning is that you have need of a Savior. And uh, you know, when we were teaching in the evangelism class the other night, this is something God put on my heart. You don't really have to tell another individual that they're a sinner, that we know this on our own. Don't we know it? You don't need somebody to tell you. And, and, and I'm going to push a little bit further that I believe that there were more than seven people in here this morning that you know that you know that you know that if you, if you died right now 
and you stood before Jesus, that you're ready to look at him in his eyes, that all of your sins are forgiven. I'm going to ask one more time, if you're here this morning and you would say, Pastor, I know that I've got sin in my life, that I came in here, and there are things that I've done that are not washed under the blood. Lift up your hand. Come on. There's another moment. Come on. All across this room. Thank you. Thank you. Who else is there? You're here and you say, Brother, I want to give my life to Jesus on this Easter Sunday morning in 2021 that I'm ready. You see, we've had several more hands raised because the gospel is this, that you don't have to die in your sin, that Jesus took your place. So I'm going to give you the gospel and we're going to pray together. Jesus died in your place because the wages of sin is death. That means your entire life, you are Pat, you're, you're just putting up wages that when you die in your sin, apart from uh, forgiveness, you are going to have to pay the penalty of your own sin, which means you will die. This is why the gospel is good news, because Jesus made propitiation on your behalf, that he laid down his life. He suffered death in your place because somebody had to die, and you don't have to die from your sin, for your sins. If that's good news to you, can you shout amen to me? You know, I've wept in the presence of God for 30 minutes this morning. I could not pray because I remember what I was and what I did apart from Jesus. And I wept for 30 minutes just thanking Him for forgiveness that I can die today and I will be with Him forever, that I will not die for my sins because He took my place. This is the gospel that we preach to you today. And if you want to receive Him, I'll ask one more time. Lift up your hands all across this room. I want that joy. I want that life. Now, would you pray with me? The prayer that you're going to pray. It's not the words that you say, but you're trusting in the finished work of the cross. It is by grace that you have been saved, but through faith, believing in what he's done. Would you ask Jesus to forgive you right now? Just ask him, say, Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? Come on. In your own way, wherever you are, you know the sins you've committed. You know the things that you've done. Ask Jesus to forgive you right now. The Bible says that if you confess your sins to the Lord, that he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. As you ask him and you repent and you make a decision to turn away, the Lord will forgive you. Now just receive that forgiveness. And the Bible says if you would confess the Lord Jesus, confess with your mouth unto salvation, believe in your heart that he is the Son of God, that he will save you. He says in Romans chapter 10 that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You've asked him to forgive you. Now call upon his name. Say, Jesus, here I am. Here I am, Jesus. Here I am, Lord. I come to you. All of me. I hide nothing. I bring it all to the table. I pray that you would forgive me, cleanse me by your blood. Wash me and make me new. Now lift up your hands all across this room. Say, Jesus, I thank you for your forgiveness. I believe you are the Son of God. I confess with my mouth that you are now the Lord of my life. And I ask you, Lord, from this day forward to help me to live for you. Help me to live for you and to never turn away in Jesus' name. Now I want you to look at me, every single one of you that have prayed that prayer. The Bible promises, Jesus promises, that if you confess him as Lord and you repent of your sin and turn away, that he'll save you. And from this day forward, listen to me, you will never die. Somebody should get more excited about that. 
When you give your life to Jesus, you become you begin eternal life. Because when you have him, you have life and you have eternal life. But when you don't have him, you'll inherit eternal death. But from this day forward, if you've given your life to Jesus, you will never forget on March, on, on April the 4th, 2021, you gave your life to Jesus and you will be with him forever. Can we just shout and celebrate with those that have given their lives to the Lord? Amen. Amen. And here's another step. After you give your life to Jesus, we follow the Lord in baptism. And Pastor has explained what that was. There are many, I think 40 people, a little less, a little more, but there are many people that are going to get baptized today that they want to identify with their new life in Christ. That they're going in that water, that old man's going down, and they're coming up a brand new man in Jesus' name. And so let's just kind of, I know many of you are here to celebrate. Would you just worship with us and celebrate? I want to give a little direction. This is how we're going to do it this morning. We're going to baptize, Pastor, you're here. Um, so, okay, so we got it. All right, well, y'all come on. Christ for our transgressions and Christ for our sins The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him And by His wounds By His wounds we are
was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. For the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. for our transgression He was crushed for our sins For the punishment that brought us peace was upon Him And by His wounds By His wounds
Um, a couple first for me. Uh, it's going to be the first time that I've ever baptized anyone, so it's a blessing to be able to baptize my two boys. Um, every parent lives for this moment when their kid um, shows the world um, that the Lord is Lord of their life. And I just want to tell a little story um, before I do this. Everybody knows Canaan. He's, he's, he's a pretty cool kid. Um, and he's, he's uh, nine. And at nine years old, you know, you kind of want to know kind of where they stand, if they really understand what they're doing. And, and me and Canaan were having a conversation, and he just got fussed at for doing something bad. And he looked at me. He's like, uh, Camden didn't want to get baptized. He was here at church in the foyer. He said, I don't want to get baptized. And Canaan said, well, I do. He said, because I heard when you get baptized, when you go down the dead and you come up, you're alive. And I was like, you know what, buddy? You're ready to get baptized. So with that profession of faith, I'm going to baptize my little dude right here. I'm going to say something. <laughs> you know, the kingdom of God is about legacy. Because of what Jesus did and he poured into the 12, we still have today, and it's our responsibility to continue on. 
And it's all by the grace of God, but every time I see my younger brother, Tiger is my younger brother. He's our junior high pastor. I've always said this and always will, that my brother is my greatest disciple. That God allowed me to lead him to the Lord many years ago. And what you're about to hear from him is he's got a line of children. And he's about to baptize. So Elliot, the word he used um, was the word that came to my mind before I even stepped in this baptism pool. Uh, it was legacy. Uh, I'm looking. This is my first time. Uh, I've been asked to baptize a few people, and it just the Lord. Uh, he He never allowed it to to happen, and. You know, I get to stand here today and not just Canaan, but the rest. But I baptize for the first time my firstborn. This is my legacy. This is this is my inheritance in the land. This is what Jesus is doing in the earth in this hour. And there's no greater honor for a father than to baptize his children and watch them. And they know, they understand, they know the decision that they're making. Um, and this is a landmark in my life. I'll remember this day for the rest of my life. And one day I will stand before this man of God and I will watch him baptize my grandchildren into the kingdom. something that this young man is um, he's a picture of what the kingdom of God represents to me God showed me a long time ago uh, Eric is not my biological son but he's been adopted into my heart because of the relationship uh, God gave me with his mother he's he's my son nonetheless and God has given me the honor and the privilege of raising this young man and when I tell you what a mighty young man he is I couldn't be
You're crying. You know, as the old preacher said, the water's still warm. Is anybody else under the compulsion of the Holy Ghost, especially if you just gave your life to Jesus and you would like to be baptized? I'll give you a moment. I've seen many people do it. I'm just saying, can't say you weren't given the opportunity. You know, as I was coming up here, God is totally into numbers. Today's 4-4. It's April the 4th, 2021. And the number four in the kingdom of heaven represents a new season and a new beginning. And for many people today, it's a brand new beginning in your life with the Lord. And I believe that the best is yet to come. And I want to just bounce off a pastor as I close us out. I'm going back to Romans chapter 6, verse 8. It says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. The gospel is good news because Jesus defeated death and we live. And we live because of him. Goes on to say, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And my admonition to you as you leave today, the life you live, live to God. Because when you give your life to Jesus, death no longer has any hold on you. The moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ is the moment you begin to live forever. And this is the good news of the gospel. This is the reason for our hope. This is the message that we proclaim. Amen. I want to pray for you today as you go. Please, take this day. Slow down. Slow down. Spend time with your family. I don't know why I'm so emotional.
spend time with your family. Spend time with Jesus. Celebrate his life. Father, we come to you this morning as we close this service and we leave from this place. And we're very careful to give you all the glory today. Because of the death you died once and the life you lived to your Father, our God in heaven, we give you glory for your defeat of death. Lord, you have victory over sin, death, and the enemy because of the blood you shed on the cross. And you will never be nailed to the cross again. But you will come back victorious for your church. And you will take us to the place that you have prepared for us. And we will live with you forevermore. But until the day we see you face to face, we lay down our lives and we glorify you with the way that we live. Jesus, I pray your blessing on every family, every individual as they leave this place. And as we go and we spend time together as a family and we celebrate this Easter Sunday, we celebrate your life, your victory, and your eternal love for your people. Jesus, we love you today. And I pray a blessing over your people as they go. In Jesus' name we pray. Can you shout amen? Amen. is my testimony from death to life cause grace rewrote my story I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified this is my testimony this is my testimony I saw Satan fall like lightning I saw darkness run for cover But the miracle that I just can't get over My name is registered in him I believe in signs and wonders Resurrection power Still the miracle That I just can't get over My name Is registered in heaven And my praise Belongs to you forever This is my testimony From death to life This grace 